Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Uh, in this episode, we talk to the UK presenter, um, broadcaster, writer, Jeff Lloyd, who is the voice currently of Home Time, which is the drive time show on Absolute Radio. Um, I've always been a big fan of Jeff Lloyd. He's a really... I don't know how you could describe Jeff Lloyd, actually. He's, he's, he's unique in the way that he broadcasts his shows. He's got a really unique uh, unique take on the world, and uh, he's always a pleasure to listen to. And, and his interviews are different because of that fact, because he's a little bit different himself. Um, and I, I think this really comes across in the conversation that I had with Jeff down the line uh, that he did towards the end of his own show. Uh, he had a pre-recorded bit on Absolute Radio, and they were just playing that out. So he did the interview with me down the line uh, from London. Uh, in this episode, Jeff speaks about how to work around PR stipulations. You know, these lists that you might be given before you have a guest on. You can't say this, you can't say that. Jeff's got a, a great way to get around that. How the best conversations come from opinion and passion. And how a recent interview with Adele highlighted how important research is. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode two of The Outer View with my conversation with Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, welcome to the show. Do you think the art of interviewing is dead? I don't think the art of interviewing is dead. I think if you watch some of the TV chat shows, you might think so, because I think what happens a lot on TV chat shows these days is the guests are used almost like a feature for entertainment. And I, I think they're brilliant. Like if, I, if you ever watch Graham Norton on a Friday night, it's such fun and people really relax into it and there's a great atmosphere. But what you're not getting on those shows is actual long-form questions and answers and i think that's true of um shows over over here in the uk and ireland i think also think it's true of shows over in the states as well uh the chat shows like jimmy fallon or james corden or whatever stephen colbert i think is trying to go for something a little bit more ambitious with mm. that but i think the way that interview shows have gone on the tv is kind of all about atmosphere and let's show that our guest is up for having a good time and then if you do get the longer form interviews uh, I think they can often be a little bit sycophantic or overly reverential mm. um, like the inside the actors studios which you can get some great stuff out of but they can be very fawning so I think if you just look at what's happening on TV with interviews you, you could think okay well maybe we're not in a golden age of it but I think in terms of radio and podcasts there's some fantastic stuff happening um, Mark Maron over recent years his his podcast has become this huge thing WTF um, to the extent that it was a thing that he started off doing in his garage and asking people for favours as so many podcasters do to get them to come and talk to him and now you know I I believe he's been pitched by publicists the whole time you know famously Barack Obama went on that show it's a prestigious thing to go on his podcast Um, and actually the best interviews I've ever heard uh, airing at the moment and they're the interviews that Howard Stern is doing these days on American radio and a lot of people have an idea in their head of what Howard Stern is like, this shock jock who's just going to be asking lavatorial or sexual stuff and yes there's an element of that in it but the long form interviews he's doing are astonishingly good he's doing, he's working counter to radio logic most people say okay between seven and nine in the morning people are only listening to the radio in five minute chunks um you've got to do lots of short form things you've got to re-establish things every five or ten minutes and he's doing this these 
one-hour, 90-minute interviews where he's just talking to a person doing these career-spanning interviews. And there's something about the... The, the skills that he has over as, in, as an interviewer that he's acquired over the years are very impressive anyway. And then there's the fact that he's operating at this level where he's hugely famous, one of the best paid entertainers in the world. So instantly, these people are going in, they're knowing what to re- expect, they're talking to him as somebody on a level with them, and, and they're just quite extraordinary interviews. I his, can't get enough of them. His style is actually, because I only downloaded he has one that he did recently, I think, well I think it's recently anyway, with Conan O'Brien. I downloaded tonight to burn onto the CD for, for the car to listen on the way home and I find with Howard Stern his style is so disarming I, yes yeah there's um, and I, I don't I don't understand how he does it you yeah. know you listen to a lot of interviews and you can you can sort of see the strings a little bit you can see what they're doing and you listen to Howard Stern and he's he's very very well researched he obviously places a lot of importance on that but there's something about him, some witchcraft whereby he will ask a question that if you or I ask somebody the same question they would laugh in our face, they'd deflect it they'd walk out of the interview and yet he just manages to elicit interviews and uh, in, sorry, and he just manages to elicit answers out of people, candid answers and I can only assume that's because of his status, people know what they're expecting and it's, it's just a skill that he's developed over the years and it's so impressive I was talking to um the broadcaster Dave Fanning on our last episode of the show and, and he seems to think that you know a lot of the interviews become very sanitised like we spoke about in the major chat shows where they take certain chunks of interviews and it's it's very polished and very clean in and out and that he says the artists of today are really going to regret not giving the access where you know you could look back on all the old studio photos that were just taken where the artists didn't really know that they did these big long interviews that you know they, they were innocent enough to kind of go look I'll put it out there. I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the marketing machine. Whereas he mm. thinks the, the artists of today are going to regret that. Do you, do you think he's onto something there? I, I do, but it, we're living in funny times because, in some ways, you, as a, as a fan of somebody who is consuming pop culture, you have more access to people than ever before because of social media, Twitter, Instagram. People treat their lives almost as. Um, as a, as a shop window. So I think in in some ways those social media accounts have replaced the kind of access that you would have got in an interview yeah. back in the back in the day and at the same time the publicists have become so guarded of famous people, you know, often to the extent that they, they try and stipulate conditions and parameters for interviews, the, the, the amount of time that's allocated is very tight. And I think those days of having weeks and weeks of access and repeated interviews, and even if you see some of the old Ruby Wax uh, documentaries or even Louis Theroux documentaries from 10 years ago the idea that people would give you that much time and that much access uh, it, it, it seems like it's from a different age How do you get around those stipulations that if you know you get an email sent to you look you can't talk about this you can't talk about that you can't mention this you can't say this colour uh, how do you uh, how do you get around that have you a kind of a, a way that you do it yourself Jeff or do you kind of go do you know what I'm just going to get the job done here this is something you just need to get done and get over it or do you kind of does it set you a challenge sometimes where you go well, actually I am going to go there but I'm going to go about it this way I think it entirely depends on who it is and why you're interviewing them so I remember once interviewing Paul McCartney and it wasn't long after George Harrison had died um, 
within a couple of months, really, and his publicist said, look, don't bring up George Harrison. And I think in a situation like that, then, of course, you're just going to show sensitivity. The guy's there to talk about his new record or book or whatever it was at the time. Mm. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, I had a friend who was a producer on a radio station in London, and she booked um, Patty Parfit, guest of, uh, wife of Rick Parfit from Status Quo, for an interview. And she turns up five minutes before the interview. She, uh, the publicist says, "Oh, just let just to let you know, um, Patty will talk about anything apart from status quo or Rick." <laughs> Why on earth do you think that she's been booked onto the program? And uh, it, it does have you scratching your head to think. I mean, what what do people think they have to offer? Yeah, it's it's a trade-off, isn't it? So somebody wants to sell something, be it if they're ambassador for a charity, to be it if they just want to flog some product or project or something. So that's what they're de there to do. But they don't want to buy advertising on the radio station or on the TV station. So the trade-off is they come in, you ask them questions. They want to give away as little as possible apart from what they've got to promote. And you want to ask the things that you or your listeners or viewers would find interesting. And it's a constant negotiation yeah, they want it one way. Yeah, I, I read a good interview in Esquire magazine with Noel Gallagher um, yesterday. I'm not an Esquire magazine reader, but I saw people going nuts about this on Twitter. And he he was saying almost the opposite of that. He was saying that when he goes in to do an interview, he loves it because it's easy. He's got an opinion on everything. He can just run his mouth. And the least interesting thing for him to talk about is making music. You know, how did you make the album? Where yeah, did yeah. you do it? Who's the producer? And that was so refreshing because so often in my situation where I'm interviewing a musician, you think, OK, these are things I really want to ask but they just want to talk about music and the, the making of the music and i forget whose quote it is is it david byrne maybe uh, the quote about talking about music like dancing about architecture anyway i'm, I'm, I'm i may um i may be misquoting there but you know the the nuts and bolts of music often aren't very interesting yeah um you know what's interesting about music is listening to it and the the um emotion it elicits in you or lyrics or melody or whatever but it's, it's not the making of it and yet you feel so often with musicians they don't want to talk about anything outside uh the, the music and it, it, it can it can really be like getting blood out of stone sometimes with musicians and i also think with musicians actually a lot of them the reason they became musicians in the first place is that they were the outsiders at school. They were the ones who were kind of on the periphery. Uh, they didn't fit in. They weren't the most social. And they found that their way of expressing themselves was through the music. And so it's a kind of a fallacy that you get these people who make brilliant art and then you expect them to come in and be all singing, all dancing raconteurs uh, because it just isn't often the case. Yeah, and I think you made a really, really good point, actually. You did a speech for Next Radio, I think it was about two or three years ago. I watched it online and you make a really good point about the best conversations come from opinion and from passion. Yeah. and what's alive inside them. So I can see your point of, you know, having a kind of, you know, somebody from Radiohead in the studio, the last thing they want to be talking about is, you know, what way they got that sound out of the speaker. That's just what they do. That's their job. But maybe they have an opinion on something. Maybe they have another, maybe they're like, I don't know, flying drones. It's something yeah. completely different, but they'll, they'll talk about that at great length. And who, like, it drives me nuts sometimes when you sit and you hear music interviews by radio presenters and they do kind of, you know, what producers did you work with? I don't care. That, that, no, no. Nobody gives a shit. 
And sometimes you feel that they're just asking those questions because it's expected of them. Yeah. Because they, they, they think, oh, the musicians don't want to talk about something else. And that's sometimes the case. People don't want to talk about something else. But if, if you do your research and you try and keep it human, um, I, th I think you can draw... You just, just If you keep prodding here and there, you'll find something that interests somebody and they'll light up. And, and music, actually, a good way into that with musicians is talking about other music that they like because as difficult it can be for people to talk about their own art, you know, the, the musicians are generally enthusiastic about music and if you can get them talking about somebody else's records or some show they've seen then often that will lead on to something else because i suppose with the interview i'm doing with you now this is for a specific kind of mm. niche of, of people that would like interviews and that would like to learn more about how to conduct yeah, a perfect that's, interview. that's a really different thing so yeah. you could buy a guitar magazine and um, <laughs> you'd be very, very interested to read about what type of strings they use or how many effects pedals they've got or how they get the eq right on the recordings but um, for so I think that's fine and that can be really interesting if you've got a topic be it interviews be it music whatever it is be it comedy and Mark Maron um, actually I think marries the nuts and bolts of comedy and more general interviews uh, interviews about you know, what what makes us people what yeah. we think about death what we think about sex what we think about money and all those things I actually listened I listened to your interview with Mark Maron actually and forgive me for interrupting you but I think you out Mark Maron Mark Maron because you in the interview you spoke about masturbation and various different things and I think Mark was kind of taken aback that he was like he's doing what I do yeah to I, I, other people yeah I think there was an element with Mark Maron of um well, it's, it's two things. Firstly, is if you don't know the act. Yeah. So if, if you're Mark Maron, you come over to London for two days, you don't know the shows you're going on. Often publicists, much to my chagrin, don't brief the people who come in for interviews about what type of show it is, which, you know, just... just them doing that would make a big difference. These people are paying lots of money to these publicists to put them on the right programmes. I think it, it would be helpful for everybody if the publicists just say for two minutes before they come out, OK, this is the sort of show it is, whereas often they come in and, and you, you're starting from a cold start. So I think there was an element of that. And I also think that maybe there was something with him which didn't want to play ball in that way. So... I got a slight sense of from from his angle. Oh, this don't go thinking this is a conversation. Right, really? Mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Where, yeah, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know what that was really. I don't know if in his head he's thinking, okay, well, what I do is conversations, and uh, I know, think he was surprised. Yeah, maybe, maybe, because to me it didn't feel the the questions I was asking or the way I was being with him weren't any different really from any other interview. Yeah, because your style is very curious and it's very um, inquisitive. Like, for instance, if, if, can I can ask you about your technique of interviewing because I watched an interview recently with you that you did with um, Bill Hader and Amy... Um, uh, Schumer. Yes. And what I found fascinating was that, I don't know whether this was the cutaways of the cameras or what way this worked, but you seemed to not glance or look at any notes. You, were, you, were, you, you, you must do an awful lot of research. Yeah, I do, only because um, I don't, I'm always scared with anything I do of embarrassing myself. And, um, you know, it happens to me 
from time to time. I had Adele in last week and I had, had the number of years between albums wrong and it's just really embarrassing when somebody corrects you in an interview like that. So I'd like to feel like I've got a lot in my head so if it goes off in a different direction I can say, oh, what about this time you were doing this, that or the other? But I do always have, um, I've got one here now, I always have a yellow legal pad in front of me and generally if it's a half hour interview it's a full page of A4 of questions Um, and then you know with the Bill Hader and Amy Schumer one it was probably two thirds of that Um, so I like to have a structure in place I like to have okay this is how I think it will probably go but I also think it's really important to listen to Guests, and if it goes somewhere else, don't just wait for them to finish and then move on to the next question. It's something you hear people say time and time again, famous people say about being interviewed, that it can be really frustrating if you try and have a conversation with somebody and they're just working off a checklist. Yeah. It's funny enough, actually, uh, to get to techniques. Do you have any techniques, for instance, where you're doing an interview and say, what, for whatever reason, everyone's mind wanders from time to time, be it a case where you're thinking of where this conversation is going and what the next question is going to be. And somebody gave me this amazing tip recently that you should, when you're in the conversation, you feel that your mind's beginning to wander, you wiggle your toes and it brings you back, in, it brings you back into the moment straight away. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic because I sometimes have, with pre-recorded interviews, I will sometimes go, I have completely forgot what I was going to say. And that can be quite good, actually, because um, people in interviews stumble a lot or they want to do things again and they feel self-conscious about doing it. So if I do it first, it relaxes people. So what I'm doing here is I'm trying to pass off my own incompetence as a technique for making my guest feel at ease. Well, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, question wise, do you have a kind of a you, you're very well prepared and uh, like uh, it's, I'm laughing like I have a, I have a white A4 uh, pad uh, in front of me. Packed oh, full you should of, go for yellow. Really? The, the, the difference it will make. Is that a lighting thing? Is it? No, it's um. You know, if you ever watch. It's very American. I've seen stuff on sitcoms or films, and you see uh, writers working with these yellow legal pads. I, I, in fact, here's where I think I got it from. I think I heard that Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld wrote every episode of Seinfeld longhand on yellow legal paper. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get myself some of that paper. Then, then nothing can stop me. Well, in honour of you, Jeff, from my next interview, I will do the next interview with a yellow legal A4 pad, and I'll tweet a picture of it to you. Yeah, do do that. Yeah. Uh, but you've got all your questions in front of you in your legal pad. Do you have any? Cold cul-de-sac questions that you go to that you kind of that you you know that will get you out of a hole if you're doing an interview where you if the if the the guest that you have on is just giving you nothing have you any go-to questions where you go do you know what they can't say just nod yes or no or go look you know i'm not really going to answer that is there anything that you find works I don't know about specific questions, but I, um, I'm a great fan of David Hepworth and Mark Ellen, who are music journalists who set up the Word magazine, and they worked at lots of great places like Q and Smash Hits in the 80s, and they uh, also were on the old grey whistle test on the TV, and they anchored part of the BBC's Live Aid coverage. And I, uh, I've been on their podcast a couple of times, and something they do is say, tell me about this, or talk to me about this. And there's something about just those words, tell me or talk to me, that I think there's an understanding in the other person said, okay, I can't just give a one-word answer here. Thinking of, have you, do you remember your first interview, Jeff? Um, yes, I do. It was um, it was Judith Chalmers. Oh, wow. You know, who used to host the travel shows on the TV. Yes. And I... 
I, I was on local radio at the time in Stockport in South Manchester. And was this Piccadilly been, or KFM? Or? It was KFM, yeah, yeah. Uh, which then became Signal Cheshire in Stockport. And um, it had loads of great people, that radio station. John Ronson was there, Craig Cash was there and Carolina Hearn. Terry Christian did wow. stuff there. And all these people were sacked and then went on to have these careers. <laughs> um, anyway, so... You were always at that radio station. They were just after a bit of money for this and a bit of money for that. So they'd take 200 quid off some advertiser and you'd have to go and do a show live from a petrol station forecourt or whatever. And there must have been some kind of travel show going on at one of the exhibition centres in Manchester. And I went and interviewed Judith Chalmers and she just seemed so show busy to me. She remembered my name and I think she could probably tell I was this nervous young kid. I would have been 17 or whatever. My hand would have been shaking. And she she was just whatever that definition of old school consummate professionalism is uh, she had that in spades so she was the first one and then I did a a, a bunch of strange people like, uh, then it was I think Leslie Gore who had a hit in the 60s with it's my party and I'll cry if I want to who uh, or maybe Bobby's girl I can Susan, no, it wasn't Leslie Gore. It uh, wasn't Leslie Gore. Um, then, then I did Susan Morn, who had a hit with Bobby's Girl, who I just knew that song from an advert, and she was in pantomime in Stockport, so I had to go and interview her, and it was all very glamorous. And, you know, back then, just interviewing somebody whose song's been on the radio or whose face has been on the television is really exciting. And sometimes you have to remind yourself of that, because now I'll be... Um, Hobnobbing with Adele. Do what? Yeah, yeah. It's like, do you want to interview Adele? It's like, uh, maybe. It's, it's, it's at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't know if I want to do something at nine o'clock in the morning. And, and, by, and by the way, you mentioned actually, and, and just to kind of take it back to, do you miss kind of those old days of doing interviews with people that really wouldn't have huge amount of of um, uh, focus or scope? As in, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a big showcase, Adele or Coldplay or something like that. Do you yeah, miss kind a of? A little bit. I do miss that a little bit. And, and actually on the show I do for Absolute, um, it can be these big names. But then conversely, uh, Trevor and Simon, who used to be on the BBC Saturday morning kids show going live and live and kicking in the 80s, they, they, they came on the other week. And I can't remember an interview that's had a bigger reaction than that one. It, they must just be, for some reason, they must be right there in the middle of... Um, of the demographic that absolute gets in its listeners and they were really funny and there's something there's there's something really lovely about interviewing people who had a huge fame and then times passed and they've got a career but they're long enough in the tooth and they've you know, had these different phases where they've had a lot of fame and then they've had no fame and they've had a lot of money and no no money, that, that they can be a bit more honest and circumspect about it. And they were really funny. And then another one of those recently was uh, my producer, Gareth, pitched me Peter Duncan, the former Blue Peter presenter, who uh, had a bit part in Flash, the film. Yeah. And I, I laughed at him at first. I said, oh, come on, you're kidding me. And he said, oh, no, I thought you'd think it was a good guest. So I went on the air and said, listen... Gareth suggested Peter Duncan. Do you, do you want me to interview him? And then all the listeners are like, yeah, yeah, because you ask them something like that, and they'll just say yes without thinking about it. Funny enough, um, we I used to produce uh, the Nicky Byrne show, which is on Two FM, and we used yeah. to have a segment called "Don't You Forget About Me," and we used to bring on people of that ilk. So we, I remember, we had a week field on. Um, ah, Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, and and she was amazing, and she was kind of she was packing out all these kind of tours over in Sweden and Norway, but unheard of over this part of the world. And we spoke to your man from Right Said Fred, 
jet yeah. from Gladiator and it is true there is I think it's because it's a kind of a it's a great story it's kind of was huge then went through lower times but then came through again it's I think people can relate to that yeah there's something about so if you get somebody just as they're starting to hit catch that first wave of success that can be a really good interview because they've gone through that awkward stage where they don't really know how to behave or talk in an interview where they feel very self-conscious and then success is starting to happen to them and they're kind of flush with it and everything's exciting and just getting to come into a radio station do an interview that feels exciting so they, they can be good interviews and then the worst ones i find are people the, the second time around so it could be a second album or a second big tv project after somebody hits the big time or a second big tour or whatever because they're jaded they think they're too good to be doing interviews uh they don't want to give very much and that can be hard work and then actually if people have been around longer or if they've had a change in circumstances and are now in reduced circumstances they 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 can often be great as well it's just the ones who are kind of in that not the first flush of success, but it's 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 the ones who are peaking really. Uh, that that can be the difficult ones, I find. Listen, Jeff, thank you so much for your time, and I've just one or two last questions uh, before we wrap just, up. I think, and let me just check something. I, th- I think we're good for like sort of five or ten more minutes. Oh, yet. brilliant! Great, great. Yeah. Well, uh, I won't hold you too long, cause, and thanks for your time doing this, because I know you're in. The, you're actually doing your show at the moment. You've yeah, got- there's a pre-recorded interview with a brilliant man called Steve Silberman, which is going out at the moment, and he's a former Wired journalist who has written a book about autism. It's called Neurotribes, and he's just this brilliant brain. And I'm doing a thing on a Monday where I'm talking to these people who are so much clear. I mean, I'm the dumbest person in the room <laughs> by a long way, and. Um, don't be too hard on yourself, Jeff. Just brilliant. Yeah, I think people are, are are kind of there is an appetite for that type of content where people just just want good meaty stuff, don't they? Yeah, I think so. I think TED Talks have actually played a part in that. Yeah, very true. You mentioned Desert Island Discs in one of your interviews that I saw online that it's it's one of your favorite programs, but you don't enjoy the 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 the, the Dustin Hoffman editions or the real famous ones. You like like for instance that guest that you just had on there for from your own show from Wired Magazine. You love the Desert Island Discs where it's just somebody who you would you would least think you would ever interview yourself. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I do like the movie stars and um, musicians and household names and so on, but there'll be some some professor or codebreaker or spy or um, some scientist who you've never heard of who you hear these life stories and they're just incredible and the structure of that program is brilliant because it, it gets people talking about stuff uh, by, by using the association of music and um, I think I said before, I'm a huge Beatles fan, and the best Beatles writer is a guy called Mark Lewison, who is a third of the way into writing the definitive biography of the Beatles. So he just published the first volume a couple of years ago, and uh, it's probably 2,000 pages long, and it goes up to them releasing their first single. I mean, that's how um, comprehensive this thing is. And something he says is, when he's interviewing people, he likes to take stuff along with him, which will then trigger memories. So, I don't know, it could be a Russian book if it's somebody who was a kid during the 1940s, or it could be a can of Quattro if it was somebody around in the 80s, or things to do with their own career, photographs and so on. And and just those 
things can be very good shortcuts for getting people talking. Wow, that's a really clear because you read about um, some nursing homes that they do this with, with patients with Alzheimer's that they mm. they might play music from a certain era or there is smells or tastes that, that, that would invoke memories. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's astonishing that you can remember where you were the first time you heard a song or what was going on in your life and you remember who you were courting and what their phone number was and yet you, you can't remember vast swathes of your life for the, from the past six months. It's mad. Um, actually, funny enough, because I, I would be a big fan of of your show. I would have listened back when I started off on radio when you were doing Pete and Jeff and Virgin mm. and so on. So it is funny. Like I was thinking about when I was writing the questions for for the show today, just the memories that you would have instilled. Like we, we spoke about in the email conversation that we had about uh, Mummy Am I Ugly? Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was a radio feature that you did. For people listening into the podcast, people would... It's actually funny enough. It's now an online thing that people are doing the kind of... What's the name they call it again? It's like the, the, you put a picture up on, on Twitter and people will comment on your appearance there's an actual it's an actual thing but you were doing it 10 years ago um, yeah yeah it's a bit longer than that actually yeah. and it was um it was it was so listeners would send in and i don't even think they'd email it in back then i think they'd often just send them in in an envelope they'd send in a photograph of themselves and then we would critique their face and <laughs> you know we we would try and do it in as inclusive way as possible. I would always begin it by talking about how repulsive my own face is and then describe Pete's and Annabelle's who we work with just to establish that we were all quite ugly people. And then we'd, we'd sort of be brutal-ish <laughs> about their faces. And I, I guess there was one where... Um, this was a guy with bald head, quite a large guy, ears, sorry, ears very close to his head. And Pete, who I used to do the show with, who's a blunt man, he was just laughing at this man, this poor man's face. The, the people, <laughs> just, uh, the listeners are on the phone at the time, so you're talking to them. Yeah. And um, Pete, Pete's just laughing at his face. He goes, he looks like a sausage. <laughs> and then he starts corpsing, shouting sausage man at this poor man's face, who, who took it in good humour. And that's a funny thing because, you know, that was 2003, 2004, and people still bring yeah. that up now. Like that's transported me back to when I was like 22, just yeah. even hearing the word sausage. Sausage it's man, funny. Yeah. Last few questions. Is there any books that you've ever gifted anyone to kind of, not in the sense where you go to interview somebody and you're giving them gifts, because I know some people use that as a kind of a, mm. a thing to elicit a little bit more kind of closeness, but a, a, a book that you might have given somebody to help them out in their career or, or that that might bring something to their life, and be that like professionally in radio or journalism or whatever. Is there anything that you would gift anyone? Um... Let me just think about that for a second. I have done that thing of giving people... Actually, I've never really done a thing of giving somebody a gift to suck up to them before the interview starts. Yeah. But um, I've, I've had Paul McCartney on the show loads of times over the years, probably 15 or 16 times at this point. And one time he was talking about being a little lad and how he was really into his nature and him and his brothers, uh, sorry, him and his brother would go out into the, the woods near where they lived in Liverpool and spot birds and he described having this observer book of British birds. And there was one time I was in an antiquarian bookshop and I spotted the, the edition of that book that it would have been from when he was a kid. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll buy that and hang on to it and gave it to him the next time he came in. And he was, uh, he was delighted with that. Um, in terms of, like, I, I can't ever remember having read a book about radio or interviewing particularly uh, that 
I've, I've ever used as a kind of instruction manual. Yeah. I mean, I love reading about comedians and I love reading about like those late night talk shows in America and and so on. But um, I, I, I can't think of a a book where I could say, oh, you should read this. Here's the here's the template for your career. And final question for you, Jeff. Who's the best at it? Who do you rate up there as the very, very best at the craft that 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 you do? Um, I think I think in terms of just asking good questions and getting good answers out of people, I can't think of anybody better than Howard Stern. And I know that a lot of people just think strippers, porn stars, gross, non-PC stuff. But I just think he's grown so much as an interviewer over the years. And I think he's he's always been good. He's always people have always had kind of an off idea of him. And and actually. I think Howard Stern, in a way, is the worst thing to ever happen to American radio because he's spawned all these people trying to imitate what he does but without his brain or without his honesty or without his self-deprecating nature. And you listen to a lot of American commercial radio and it's just awful. Mm. It's in the gutter. All these idiotic morning shows. That might not have existed if he hadn't started doing what he does. But at the same time, he's operating at a different level to those people. And his interviews I, I, I can't I can't understand how he does it there's a couple of two people who I can't understand how they do it one is Howard Stern and the other one is Danny Baker who is the only person I can think of who could just go into a radio studio with nothing prepared and do a radio show that is worthy of an award the man's brain is a national treasure over here he, it, it should be pickled yeah he really is a genius dead, not, not before <laughs> yeah, hopefully I hope, I, hope yeah. that, I hope that doesn't happen uh, Jeff Lloyd thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's a real pleasure to talk to you and um, for people uh, who want to download your own podcast uh, where do they go? Um, just the usual places. If you've got an Apple device or if you use iTunes, if you just type my name, it's Jeff with a G, into iTunes or um, use RSA. Go to the Absolute Radio website. There's the easy place for people, I think. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Outer View for RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com. 